When my son turned one, I made him a three-layer cake with white chocolate frosting and raspberry filling between the layers. By the time he could talk, he explained to me that children prefer monster cupcakes or maybe a Baskin-Robbins ice cream cake, but not a layer cake. Still, I love a good layer cake. They seem so special, like a carrot cake or an Italian cream cake or a chocolate ganache cake. The layers are what make it. So when we stopped at one of the first archaeological sites in Israel last May, when I first got out of the bus, I just saw like a pile of rocks and a lot of stairs until someone said, what you're looking at, it's like a layer cake. They call it in Hebrew, a tell. And archaeologists go and slice through this mound or this tell of dirt to reveal the layers of the civilizations who have lived on this plot of ground for the last several thousands of years. And as the archaeologists slice through the land, you can see the way that folks lived throughout history. You can see their tools, their homes, their water systems, even their religious symbols. Peek into those layers and learn what life was like for our brothers and sisters in the generations past. This morning's scripture lesson from the Gospel according to John is like a layer cake or a tell. The first two layers are described in today's text with two stories. In the first story, Jesus' disciples are locked inside their houses because they are afraid. I can picture the black wrought iron deadbolt firmly locked, the wadded-up Kleenex on the floor, the casserole dishes with half-eaten mac and cheese, and the picked-over fruit platter that is there on the table in between the forlorn disciples. They are wringing their hands. They are anxious about what lies ahead. They are worried about what kind of future they face without their leader, Jesus. And they wonder out loud, Will those who came to arrest Jesus and crucify him next come for us? I don't know if they were more anxious or depressed, hard to say, and they have heard the rumors that the women are spreading that Jesus is still alive. But what do the women know anyway? The next layer happens one week later. This time, their brother Thomas, another disciple who had been missing in the first scene, has appeared and is also locked inside the room with them. The room looks pretty much the same as it did the previous week, with the same casserole dishes lying around, only fewer of them arriving now from the neighbors. This time, it's mostly leftover pizza boxes on the counter, maybe a few candy bars and some dead flowers. Oh, and there's that box of thank you notes that the funeral home delivered, still unopened. Fear and dread still lingers, maybe even heavier a week later. They wonder, how much longer can they last locked inside? Will they ever be able to go outside again? Will it be possible? Will this sense of fear ever lift? It'd be so nice, they think, to go to the farmer's market or to go fishing. 
but fear imprisons them, keeping them locked inside. They had placed their hope in the movement that Jesus had begun, this movement about freedom and promise and love for all of God's people. And now here they sit, trembling in fear, doubting everything about the future. And so the doors remain locked and the curtains drawn. And now fast forward a few generations. The original disciples are long since buried, and their children are now grandparents themselves. The Church of Jesus Christ has indeed grown and spread throughout the Roman Empire, but Rome has recently squashed down a religious revolt, and Jews and Christians are now locked inside their homes again in fear. They are afraid of the authorities. They have been told by the government that the emperor would like to be called Lord and God, but the one they call Lord and God was this one named Jesus. So again, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, are fearful, and it is to these that the Gospel of John is written. As John writes, he pictures small groups of Christians huddled inside their homes, locked behind the doors in fear. And now you know what layer cakes are like. They can be a little bit messy and wobbly, and the same is true for archaeology. And so we cannot always capture all the layers of the history, but you and I know what is on the top of the mound, for we look around and we see it ourselves. This place where you and I now stand is also a place all around this globe where people are locked inside their homes behind closed doors in fear. We have been ordered to stay at home because it isn't safe to go outside and socialize with our grandchildren and our best friends and our coworkers, lest we overwhelm the medical system. We do not want to expose a vulnerable person to a wicked virus or come down with something dangerous ourselves. We fear that we too could lose our jobs. We are anxious because life as we know it has been suspended. No soccer or baseball, no book clubs or Sunday school, no family reunions or weddings. Will the Spirit of God that sustained us in the past carry us into this unknown future? But deeper fears lurk. Who will we be when this is all over? What ways are our children and our youth and our college students and even our young adults being shaped by this global shutdown? What will our economy, our political life, our church reveal of its essence after this time of upheaval? Will we rise as God's own people or Jesus came in without using the door. All throughout Lent here in the church, we talked about how love knocks and waits for us to hear, but now it is Easter and Jesus doesn't even knock. The risen Christ appears. The locked door is no physical hindrance to him. The fear does not shove him out. He comes in and breathes on his friends, sharing with them the intimacy of his spirit, of God's spirit. He says, peace, 
peace be with you. And a week later, he appears again in that same room. This time, Thomas is present, and he says it again, peace, peace be with you. And he appears again 60 years later to those in John's early church who are also trembling in fear, worried about persecution and death while the society around them is shifting and changing. And again, they hear the words of the living Christ, peace, peace be with you. What about now? In the midst of pandemic, have you noticed the presence of the risen God among us, breathing upon us, even in the midst of our fear, and saying, peace, peace be with you. In the Gospel of John, the peace that Jesus brings is not the peace that the world gives, but a different kind of peace. A woman in the congregation wrote to me recently telling me she's noticed some silver linings during this time. She said, I've gotten to spend more time with my best friend in reference to her husband. A friend of mine told me that he called his sister. I just about fell over. You, you did what? You called your sister? I knew he hadn't talked to her in many, many years. I had heard about the decades of resentment and anger that had built up between the two of them, but he called her out of the blue. She was surprised, he said, and happy to hear from me. Peace, peace be with you. My daughter came by one day. She sat on our back screened-in porch. She placed some cinnamon rolls on the table in between us. She was wrapped up there, shivering in the cold on the screened-in porch, and I was inside the back door in the entryway. We talked. We talked about, it didn't matter, we, we, we talked about nothing. And when she left, I knew that the Holy Spirit had breathed between us. And a dad I know built a spaceship out of cardboard back boxes for his two girls. And they spent all of Saturday going on a journey through space. Their imagination and their laughter and their creativity were running wild in a way that it never would have on an ordinary Saturday when they had just spent the time going to a Disney movie or jumping from birthday party to birthday party. Jesus came among them in their dark rooms behind those closed doors. But when Jesus left... They were not the same. He breathed on them his peace, but it was not only the kind of peace that calms. Rather, it was also the kind of peace that infuses us with life, new life. Something rose up in those early Christians. Jesus came with peace, not just to comfort them, but to send them out into the world again. He encouraged them to go out into the world in a new way. He empowered them to be the kind of people who could rise up. If they had not gone out into the world to let their lives bear witness to the risen Christ, then you and I would not be sitting here this morning. They rose up. His peace empowered them to go out into the world and to bear witness that God is still alive in the world. 
Chris Curry remembers a family in his congregation who was always struggling, always. The dad had been an alcoholic, and he died early in his life. The mom struggled with mental illness. They had a 13-year-old son who was always in church, a very faithful member. Chris tried to help out the boy and his mom when he could. Sometimes he paid the car repair bill for them when they didn't have quite enough. One time he went to visit them in their home. It was a trailer out on a country road and he looked down at his feet while he stood in their home and he could see the grass growing underneath the floorboards. And he helped them find new housing in government subsidized housing closer to town. It was March. It was a snowstorm, a very odd, surprising snowstorm. No one expected it. The boy and his mom were on their way home from the grocery store when another car hit them. The boy called the pastor, Chris. My mom is hurt. Pastor Chris offered some comforting words over the phone, and then he explained that he would come to the hospital first thing in the morning. After all, pa Pastor Chris couldn't leave home now. He had three kids of his own at home, including a six-week-old. He hung up. Five minutes later, the phone rang again, and the little boy said, Could you come now? And so Chris called the chairman of the board of the church. He said, I'm on my way to the hospital, and I'm stopping to pick you up to take you with me. On his way, he explained to the chairman of the board what had happened, and he said to her, You know, this might be the time for the church to be the church. When they arrived, they found that the mom was in intensive care on a ventilator where she would remain for the next three weeks. Someone was going to have to take care of the boy, and there wasn't anyone else available, no family members. The following week, the pastor and the chairman of the board went to the courtroom and stood before the judge and applied for temporary custody for the little boy. Members of the congregation did the heavy lifting. They took turns housing the boy, feeding him. Some of the church members sorted through the stack of medical bills and made sure they got paid. Eventually, mom recovered, and she and the little boy moved back home. But the chairman of the board, she still thinks of that boy as one of her own kids. Chris said, you know, it was almost like Sunday after Sunday, him after him, Prayer after prayer, sermon after sermon, we had been practicing and preparing for this moment. Jesus comes and stands among us and breathes on us. The risen Christ rises up still in us, in you, in me. The risen Christ arises again now in new ways. If not, then Easter was only an idle tale, a wild and meaningless miracle long ago. Max DeWeese, a member of our church, turned 99 on March the 20th. Max still plays golf and volunteers in the community and drives himself to church every Sunday. Max is a decorated war hero, one of the few survivors of the battle at Guadalcanal in World War II. 
and he earned two Purple Hearts. Max has been through a lot. I've been through some of it with him. Last week, though, he met a new challenge. He was diagnosed with COVID-19 and was hospitalized. I talked to him on several occasions while he was in the hospital. I hated it because he was behind a closed door where no visitor could come, not even his pastor, but we would talk every other day or so. And one day when I was talking with Max and he was feeling a little bit better, I said to him, Max, last night you were on the news. Really, he said, I, I didn't see it. I said, well, they told your story about how you have been through so much in your life and how you have remained so positive and how even now in the midst of this scary diagnosis, you still are placing your trust in God. I said, Max, even from your hospital bed, behind closed doors, you're a witness. What? said Max. Max, I said, you're behind closed doors, sick, and still you are witnessing. Well, he said, that is why I'm here. That's why I'm here. Why are you and I here? 